Well, uh, uh, I won't say much about it, but I will say that I went to the San Marcos Dos Pueblos football game on Friday night. I, I hate to divide the church like this, so I, I'll just stop right there, but we'll say that, that uh, San Marcos faced a lot of opposition in their attempt to, uh, to win that game. Uh, Dos Pueblos did not, yeah, to score in that game is better said, Dos Pueblos did not face quite as much opposition, but that kind of gets us into this, uh, this theme for the day. We all know what it's like to face opposition, right? Um, maybe some of you feel like there were enemy forces at play even this morning as you tried to get ready to get to church and get out of your, your house and, and get on to this place. Perhaps you've tried to initiate some new policies at your work, or you've tried to establish some new patterns or routines in your home or with friends, and, and you've just faced opposition. We've never done it like that. Ah, uh, that's not going to work. Or what do you think you're doing? Um, are you crazy? Uh, this, opposite, this week, I tried to get our son Thomas off to bed before he had gotten the bowl of ice cream that his mother had uh, uh, promised to him. And uh, I, you can imagine that I faced quite a bit of opposition in my attempt to get him into bed. Sometimes the opposition gets a little stronger. We live in a day where there's a lot of just uh, hostility. I have a friend who's running for the, uh, the school board, actually, in another community, not our own, so you don't have to, not, you don't have to dislike him as well. But uh, he's running for the school board in his community. And of course, just like about every other school district in California, theirs has had to make some really tra- you know, significant cuts in, in recent years. And, uh, and so he's pretty unpopular, <clears throat> and, uh, especially with the teachers in the community. And this year, while he's trying to get reelected, he's also campaigning for a, a proposition to, to raise money for school improvements, which is kind of making him unpopular with the general taxpayers as well. And uh, he's just really against a lot of opposition. And if you know the strengths finder, uh, then, then you'll know what I mean when I tell you that this guy has both woo and positivity. He is uh, winning others over all the time, very just wooing people and positivity. It's hard to make this guy have a bad day. And yet when I talked to him on the phone the other day, I could just sense that he was down. He was defeated because of the opposition that he's facing. And many of you know exactly the feeling that this guy has, the experience of opposition that you face in your own setting, in your own context every day, always kind of bucking against something, always trying to swim against the tide, always feel like you're climbing uphill, never a sense of the wind behind your back, but always in your face. And we're continuing in our series on, on the Gospel of Mark, God on the Move. And we're spending a lot of time this fall in the Gospel of Mark, and I hope that you're uh, enjoying this. We're studying this in our growth groups and digging into the Word and, uh, and again, not just being informed by the Gospel of Mark, but I, I pray we're being formed by Mark and this Gospel and even transformed. And, and today we come to chapter 6, and uh, Mark wants to make it clear in this chapter that things were not always smooth sailing for Jesus. Uh, 
In fact, Jesus himself faced some opposition. Last week, we were reading the story about Jesus crossing over the Sea of Galilee to go heal the, and, and, and liberate the man who had been possessed by the demon. And then, if you read in your growth groups, we, we, we read about the story of him healing the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and then actually raising from the dead the daughter of the Jewish synagogue leader, Jairus. And if you read just, if you were to stop at chapter 5, you'd have the sense that Jesus is on a roll. I mean, he is getting done what he came to do. And his mission is being accomplished. He's just kind of like mowing it down in a sense. You know, it's like, let's do it. Come on, boys. Let's go with the flow and let's make it happen. And he seems to be doing just that. And then we come to chapter 6. And it's as if Mark wants to, he strings these stories together, three in a row really, that, that are just like almost slamming on the brakes. And it's, and it's very vividly reminding us that, that, that the gospel message that Jesus came to preach was something that would stir up some controversy, without a doubt. This was something that would not easily always be heard uh, with, with friendly responses from those that he would share it with. And the same could be said for his followers. And so in these stories, I'm just going to read all three of them. Mark kind of shares them, these three stories, that, that kind of go from, from not so good to pretty bad to just downright tragic and, and, and awful. Mark wants his readers to understand, uh, just to kind of let you know, he wants his readers to understand that Jesus was by no means running this kind of very unorthodox campaign for Messiah, uh, unopposed. He, he was very much facing opposition. That in fact, it was even primarily amidst a context of unbelief that his mission was advancing and that opposition was something that Jesus and his followers should get ready for. So let's read it, shall we? Chapter 6 in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 29. So, if you're able, could you stand with me as I read that? You can follow along on the screen. If you'd like, I'd love to have you open up one of those Bibles if you have one handy, though, so you can follow along as we continue to look at this passage. Mark chapter 6, 1 to 29. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can simply respond by saying, thanks be to God. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Uh, his hometown was Nazareth. It's not mentioned here, but that's what Mark was referring to. Uh, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack 
of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. In verse 7, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Thanks for the sandals, Jesus. That's not in there. Verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Verse 14, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had, he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. but Because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Jesus had been teaching and preaching this radical message of repentance. This, This message that the kingdom of God had come near in him. He had brought a new way of of thinking about God, a new way of relating to God, a new possibility for not only following rules, for not only following law, but for living in relationship with the Creator. For Jesus, this, this kingdom initiation, this new thing that He was bringing meant that people were to do more than just feel sorry for their sins. It meant more than that they were just to offer some sacrifices for their sins. It meant that they were to change their entire perspective on life and their focus for the future. Repentance meant to turn around. 
to, to move in a new direction. And this was the message that Jesus came to preach. There was no time to waste. There was no room for compromise. And interesting, this is still the message of Jesus today. And just like the message of Jesus today, calling people to repentance, makes folks uncomfortable. In fact, it might even make a few of us uncomfortable here this morning. So it did in Jesus' day as well. So what do people often do when they're made uncomfortable by something? They dismiss it. They, they excuse it. They, uh, they oppose it. And we see the opposition in these stories just rising. First, opposition to Jesus Himself. And then opposition to His disciples who He would send out. And finally, this opposition in the most tragic of all of these stories to Jesus' cousin, His forerunner, John the Baptist. No doubt uh, that Mark, the Gospel writer, the editor here, was thinking of Christians and Christian communities in his own day. Remember that Mark was, was gathering these stories some 30 years after Jesus' death, after he had worked with Paul and, and Barnabas and Peter in ministry. Now he's writing these stories and collecting these stories for the church both of then and of today. And as he was gathering these stories, no doubt he was thinking about some of those Christians in those Christian communities who in his day were also facing serious opposition as they struggled to persevere and to stick with the faith that they knew they had been called to. In, in Mark's day, it was uh, social and government pressure. They were threatened physically and fiscally because of their decision, their decision to follow Christ. No doubt Mark wanted us to know, wanted them to know, before any of them had faced, that, that long before any of us had faced this kind of opposition, long before any of us had come up against any sort of spiritual foe, Jesus had done it himself. And his early followers had been confronted with the same stuff. Facing opposition. I think I have this slide here. What does it mean to face opposition? And what can we learn about this, this, this challenge that we face daily? as we look at these stories from Mark's Gospel. Well, in the story of Jesus, we, we see that um, the opposition first kind of takes the form of what we might call mockery. The people from his own hometown of Nazareth. And you hear the story. At first, they were amazed at what he was doing. And, and, and slowly, though, maybe as they began to realize that this wasn't just some miracle worker, but he was also one calling us to actually change our lives, slowly their tune began to change. And from seeing his praises and his amazement, slowly began to say, who is this guy anyway? And the words that they speak there can, can easily be taken for sarcasm and, and slander. Suddenly, uh, they grow cold to him. Perhaps as the teaching gets a little warmer <laughs> in their own lives. Instead of listening and being confronted by the truth, now these people are, are, are pushing it aside and instead openly slandering and dismissing Jesus. Isn't this the local kid? It's easy. Over-familiarity. It's easy just to set him. Isn't this just the carpenter? And, and most scholars believe that they're just speaking with great sarcasm at that point. Isn't this just the guy that was making cabinets? Isn't this just guy that made the table over there? He, hasn't he been in the workshop his whole life with his father? And, and what does he know about this stuff anyway? Isn't this Mary's son? 
And most hear in that potentially a reference to the illegitimacy of his birth and, and, the, and the slanderous gossip and rumors that people might have spread even in, in, in the face of Jesus' teaching. That, that, isn't that the one that was born to those, that unwed mother? Isn't this the one whose brothers and sisters are right here or all around us? And, and aren't these the same brothers and sisters who just a while back thought that he was crazy? Right? You remember that? Mark's told us that story. And you can see in every word that the people from Nazareth said that they were just putting Jesus more and more into not his right place, but into the place where they wanted him to be. They mock and they slander. And we hear just a slight foretaste of what will come at the end of Mark's gospel when Jesus again would be the victim of such mockery and slander and ultimately his death. You've, you've experienced these little comments at some point in your life if you've been walking with Jesus for, for very long. I, I, I remember from my earliest days when, when I couldn't do something because I went to church, you know, or, or, or my friends did one thing and I did the other. And it was, it was never really like uh, necessarily to me expressed like complete um, mockery or slander, but there's little suggestions, little hints. Oh, yeah, you're the church boy. Oh, yeah, you're the goody-goody. Oh, yeah, of course you wouldn't do this. Of course you wouldn't do that. You're that Jesus guy. And throughout my life and maybe throughout yours, you've heard little references like this and you've kind of been just slightly put, not into your right place, but put into the place where those people would have you to be. Potentially because they're challenged by your very life. Potentially because they're challenged by the very message that your life communicates to them. The message that calls them to repentance and to change as well. Mark would want believers to know that there are times when we may be mocked just as Jesus was. There may be times when people make fun of and slander believers for their faith and are even offended by them. And often again it would be simply because the claims of the gospel are hitting too close to home. Opposition will come. They'll be looking for any excuse they can find to dismiss such a dangerous message. Mockery. The story that Jesus sending out His disciples is the next kind of type of opposition we might face, the opposition that Jesus warns of. And this time it will simply take the form of rejection. Uh, you heard him, and he doesn't give them much. He only gives them, what was it, just some sandals. You can't really take anything else. Just take your sandals and, uh, and, and just one tunic. And when you go to a town to, to preach the gospel and to call the people to repentance, if you find someone that will let you stay with them, then Jesus says to them, by all means, stay there. Now, I'm not sure if this means, some, some interpreters think that maybe this means that if you find better accommodations then you shouldn't leave those first ones because they were the first ones that were nice to you. They, they were hospitable to you to begin with. Or if it might mean, hey, if you found one, just be thankful you got one place to stay because you might not find another. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Is that the, is that the saying? You got one place to stay. Don't mess around. You better stay there because he goes on to say that there will be some who will receive you warmly and welcome you with kindness. They'll listen to your message with joy and receive it. And there will be others 
And Jesus minces no words. There will be others who will not receive it at all. They will slam the door in your face. They will reject the message that you have for them. And in so rejecting that message will reject you. It isn't a question to Jesus, it seems, in these verses there, in verses 10 and 11 in particular. It isn't a question of if, but it's a question of when they will face this kind of rejection. There will always be some, and again, we've known some folks like this, right? And we know some, we've been some folks like this. Jesus just seems to be saying, there will always be some who would rather stay stuck in the, in the, the, the mire and the, the, just the mud of their sin. We would rather stay stuck in this kind of life than open up themselves to the possibilities of a new life in Jesus. And Jesus seems to be saying, these folks, when they reject you, there will be absolutely in that moment nothing that you can do. Shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. Jesus is saying, at least for that time, that the message is too urgent. There's too much too many people that we must try and reach with this good news. This call to repentance is so uh, pressing upon us that we can't spend extra time in those places. It wasn't that these people were no longer important to God, but that in that context, there was simply no time to waste. And Mark would want believers to know in his day and in ours that rejection of the gospel message is normal. Rejection of the invitation to repentance is, uh, is going to happen, and we should expect it. We should be ready for it. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of go around with this idea that since, since Jesus has made such a difference in my own life, that Jesus has brought such transformation to me, that my eyes have been opened to, to what God can do through His Son Jesus in my life, that everybody else ought to just get that as well, Right? I mean, it, it's just like clear as daylight to me. And it's been such a part of my life and it defines who I am that, that that ought to just kind of resonate with my neighbors and with my friends as well that don't know Christ. And yet, I've come to experience that the truth is something far different, right? And in this scripture, Jesus seems to affirm that truth that we all knew by, that we all know to be true by our experience. The reality is that we're, we're talking about something here that is extremely sensitive. Uh, you, you read it there in verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. This is very sensitive. This is totally life rearranging. And we should not be surprised or caught off guard when people reject the message. But they keep on preaching. <laughs> they keep on going. And that's Jesus' encouragement to us today as well. The story of John the Baptist, not a pleasant story, and I obviously uh, don't enjoy reading that story. And uh, I, I, it's a little bit PG-13, so uh, um, parents, you might want to have some further discussions about that story, even with your kids today. But, um, but it's a powerful story, and, and it's obvious that Mark wants to go from bad to worst to, to worst in this story of, of John the Baptist. 
by far the most tragic and the most extreme of these warnings, these reminders, Mark wants to, us to know that this opposition may very well at some point take the form of persecution. And that's the third. Facing opposition, mockery, rejection, persecution. John's faithful in speaking truth to power, right? He sees what's going on with Herod. He sees this whole scene unfolding before him. And he refuses to let it just happen. And he speaks truth into this sinful situation. And because of it, and because the sinful choices of Herod, he winds up in prison and is ultimately executed. It's the ultimate price that one might pay for his or her faith. And it, and it pains me to say, and yet this is the reality not only in the day of John the Baptist, but in the day that we live in, that there are still, in our world, still, there are still some so disturbed by the message of the gospel, the call to repentance, so offended by a believer's message that they will lash out in violence against the believer. Mark undoubtedly, again, was writing to those who were in his day and uh, those in these years after Jesus' death, these Christians up in Rome where he was stationed and, and it was the emperor, and I've shared this with you before, but it was the emperor in those days who, who because of some, some false accusations against the Christians, was committing them and sentencing them to death, sometimes in the arena, sometimes burned at the stake. In our day, it's Christians still giving their lives around the world. November 11th this year is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we don't have this Sunday marked out on the, on the, on the calendar because there aren't any persecuted Christians in the world. <laughs> we have this day marked out to pray because there are persecuted Christians all over the world. And you can go to website after website and read of news reports churches being burned, of pastors and Christian leaders being imprisoned, of even Christians being killed. And we've heard stories of our own Nazarene leaders in the country of Somalia in recent years giving their lives in martyrdom, giving their lives for faith. I, um, we, we got to hear, Kyle and I got to hear this week, a speaker who has written a book on, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and you've heard me refer to Bonhoeffer several times. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this, if you're not familiar with the story, was this German pastor during the days of Hitler who was willing to speak up against Nazism, to speak truth, was eventually caught and imprisoned and finally executed. I think it was 43 days before the Nazis lost power. Gave his life. Mark would want us to be warned very clearly that these stories that, from these stories that we'll face opposition in our pursuit of the mission that God's given to us. I think it's very intentional here, not only to, to warn the people of his day, but to warn Christians that would come throughout time that, and not only to warn us, but just to define reality a little bit, that when that opposition comes, don't let it catch you off guard. Don't let it surprise you. We, we should never say to ourselves or to other believers, boy, I was, I was persecuted today. It just, man, it really rocked my world. Well, maybe it'll rock your world at some levels, but, but 
not because you didn't expect it. The Gospel of Mark, Jesus seems to want to be telling us today that we can expect it. We don't necessarily have to go looking for it because it will find us. I, I told my daughter, who's right here this morning, that if she's five foot ten by the time she's in eighth grade, she has to take up either volleyball or basketball. And uh, right now she's doing ballet. And somebody else said to me, they said, don't worry, James, the coaches will find her. Right? We don't, we don't have to go looking for suffering or persecution. We don't have to intentionally put ourselves necessarily into places where we'll be, where we'll be mocked or rejected. We don't kind of have to kind of force ourselves onto people or into situations and kind of celebrate the fact that we get to uh, face opposition. We don't have to necessarily go looking for it. We just have to live the life that Jesus is pouring into us to be the people that God's called us to be, to be faithful followers of Jesus, to be his disciples who would live out a message of repentance and would call the people to that in the most winsome and loving ways that we possibly can. And even then, even then, we're reminded that that opposition will come. It's part of the journey. It's, it's part of the package deal, <laughs> so to speak. And I hope we hear it. This morning. I think Mark wants us to hear it, this warning, this preparation. But I also think as I listen to this passage, I think Mark has one more message for us this morning from this passage. I know he has one more message for me. Another warning in a sense. Um, to be honest that um, it is even, as I thought about it, even more threatening to me as a follower of Jesus, and even the threat of persecution or opposition that would come my way. It's even a greater danger, I believe, for us as followers of Jesus than even this threat of mockery or rejection or persecution. It's, it's simply that we wouldn't just be people who face opposition, but that somehow we could become the people who are the opposition. That we're not only facing opposition, but that somehow in the lives that we lead, we become those who are being the opposition to the mission and to the message of Jesus. You know why this hit me? It just slapped me across the face. It was kind of one of those... You know, you hear people talk about the Bible as like a two-by-four hitting you in the head. I, I, got one of those, I had one of those two-by-four moments this week as I read this story. The thought hit me, I was reading a commentator who was speaking about how the, he was kind of referring to that initial story with Jesus, right? Where, where he was not received by those in his, in his, home, in his own homeland, his own, his own city, his own town, his own village. And the commentator just made this, this casual comment, it wasn't even like in bold print or italics or kind of like, listen to this. He, the, the comment was simply this. He said that the spiritual soil in Nazareth was pretty rocky. He's referring back to that parable from a few weeks ago, right, where there's the different types of soil and the rocky soil where the, uh, where the roots of the gospel cannot get ground. They cannot get deep. They can't grow strong. And he says, obviously, the spiritual soil in Nazareth is pretty rocky. 
There's obviously not a lot of receptivity to Jesus' message, and it didn't allow the gospel to drive down deep and establish roots. And then he wrote this. This is really the line. He said, few, he said, few if any Nazarenes actually believed in Jesus at this point. Few Nazarenes actually believed in Jesus at this point. Now, he was obviously speaking about those from Nazareth, right? The, uh, the, the people from Nazareth were called the Nazarenes. Jesus was called a Nazarene. And, and because of Jesus being called a Nazarene, our denomination is called the Church of the Nazarene. If you've ever wondered or if you've ever said, you know, what are you guys again, the Nazarites or the Nazareths or... I get all sorts of varieties of the name of our church, but it's the Nazarene, because that's what people from Nazareth were called. Jesus was a Nazarene. These Nazarenes, though, very few of them actually believed in Jesus at this point. And I wonder if it's okay for us to hear the Word speaking quite personally to we Nazarenes today about this. Now, if you're not a member of our church and you're a Whatever, you're a Methodist, or you're Episcopalian, or you're non-denominational, or you're uh, whatever, Presbyterian, then just be Nazarene for a moment, would you? It works better. In what ways are we now not just facing the opposition, but in what ways, people, are we being the opposition to Jesus and to His message? You heard what He said about the people who came against him there in Nazareth, he was amazed at their lack of faith. In what ways are we demonstrating a lack of faith? Is that the, yeah, little faith. He was amazed. I mean, I, I just, he had just come from healing the demon-possessed man in Gentile country. He had, just, he had just healed this woman who had only just reached out to touch the hem of his garment. He had just raised this little girl from the dead. And now he comes into this place and they have so little faith. And, and it's the only time it's said of Jesus in all the Gospels that he was amazed at anything. He's amazed at how little faith they had. And because, I don't know how all this works. Maybe you do, again, if you do, God bless you. But I don't know how all this works. But there's some correspondence here between their lack of faith and his lack of ability to do something miraculous in their community. All he could do was heal just a few people. I mean, that's pretty good, right? But, but if that's pretty good, then what more did Jesus have planned for the Nazarenes? But because of their lack of faith, he was limited in his ability to do his miraculous work. And I, that just gripped me so hard this week, you guys. Is Jesus ever amazed at how little my faith is? Does Jesus ever look at me and say, well, that's all you got, James? Really? That's how you're going to live? That's, that's the extent of how much you believe in me and my ability to do far beyond you could ever ask or imagine? Ah. How am I being the opposition to what God might want to do in my life and in our community and in our city through me and through us because of my little faith? Grow our faith. God, grow our faith. God, make our faith, our confidence, our belief, our hope, and our trust in you more than we could ever 
generate on our own. God, give us great faith. We want to believe God and you and your ability. We don't want to be in opposition to what you're trying to do in and through us. In what ways for the, for the disciples when they went out, they, the, 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 the Word says, if any, if any place will not, uh, will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet. In what ways have I failed to, to listen and welcome the, the, the radical demands of the Gospel in my life? In what ways have we as modern day contemporary Christian people in a comfortable world in which we live failed to really welcome, really to be hospitable to all that the Gospel calls us to? In what ways have we failed to say, yeah, oh, repentance, right, really, that's not just hearing but that's turning around and moving in a new direction. In what ways have I failed to welcome and to listen to the, the, the full gospel message? Not only to be a good person, not only to believe in God, but to allow my life to be transformed by His presence. In what ways have I been the opposition to what God would want to do in my life and in my heart? In what ways... And I want to be really careful with this comparison here, but in what ways have I been so centered on myself? In what ways have we been so focused on ourselves, as was Herod, worried only about ourselves, our reputation, our pleasure, and forgotten the challenge to live a life holy and pleasing before the Lord? What ways have I been, what ways have we been the opposition? I... The story that came to my mind as I thought about this, this, this idea was simply um, the, the times that, I, I hate to admit this, but I hope that somebody else has done this before. Has anybody ever driven your car with your emergency brake at least halfway engaged? <clears throat> you know, you, you just, you weren't really on a big hill, so you just kind of push it halfway in. Just kind of a token emergency break, but then you got going and you were just in a hurry, so you took off and you're driving on the highway and you're thinking, yeah, there's something wrong with my motor. It's not running quite right. And you're just kind of oblivious to that big red light just blink, you know, staring at you right there in the face. And you start to smell something. Wow, somebody left their emergency brake on as they were driving. I mean, this, this is the word. I drove all the way to San Marcos Golf Course one time through the pass with my emergency brake on my old car, halfway engaged. And I got there. I think I'd pretty much ruined the whole thing. But I, I just, there, there's this sense of, of when you drive with your emergency, I know this firsthand as, as I'm discovering some of you do as well. There's this sense that I'm trying to, I'm trying to get there. I'm giving it all the gas I can, but I'm still not reaching full speed. There's something just holding me back. There's something just keeping me from reaching the full potential of speed that, that I could find. I just, uh, I, just, I just wonder about the opposition that we are in our lives to what God's wanting us to do. These, 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 this little faith, this failure to listen, this being focused on ourselves, that is, that is like an emergency brake pulled on your spiritual life. You may be doing everything else. You may be showing up at church. You may be reading your Bible. But when our faith is small, 
when we're not listening and allowing the gospel message to really penetrate our hearts, when we're so centered on ourselves that we're forgetting everything that God's all about, then we'll never reach full speed. <laughs> we'll never reach full speed. God, give us strength for the opposition that we'll face. God, give us strength to get out of your way and to no longer be the op- opposition. God, give us strength to give you room to do all that you want to do in us and through us to accomplish your mission. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, these reminders in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Thank you, Lord, for uh, these warnings that, that, uh, that as followers of yours, as those of us who would give ourselves to you, Lord, and who would want to follow you into every situation in this world, every day as we sang earlier, every day we want to live for you, Help us to remember these warnings that opposition will come. And for us not to be taken off guard by that, caught off guard by that, or surprised by that, but instead to to welcome it as a sign of our faithfulness, really. Not to go searching for it or setting ourselves up in such a way that, that, that we'll be slandered or rejected, but living a life faithful to you, winsome and loving, and at the same time expecting God that there may come some opposition just as it did to you and to your early followers. And at the same time, Lord Jesus, as we, as we recognize how easy it is not only to face opposition, but to slip over to becoming that opposition, help us, Jesus, as we've said, to get ourselves out of the way. Help us to, to, to never live in such a way that we would impede or slow down or hinder the work that you are wanting to do in our own lives, in our families, in our church, and in our world. We want to be Nazarenes who have great faith. We want to be the people of God who have great expectations of you. We want to be the people of God who are so hospitable to the truth of the gospel, who are so welcoming to the claims of the gospel, who are so ready to listen and respond to the call to repentance and to transformation. We want to be people who are getting our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes onto you, Jesus, that we might follow you completely. And so, as we come to communion this morning, and as we receive of these elements, God, we pray that, that we would indeed be strengthened for the journey. As we eat of the bread and drink of the juice, may it nourish us spiritually so that whatever opposition we may face, even today, even this week, we may know that you are with us, that we're strengthened by the body and blood of Christ, who has given all of himself for us and who gives all of himself to us even today. And help us at the same time to be so convicted by your gift to to us of all of who you are that we might too recognize what it is to give all of ourselves to you. For all these things and so much more, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen.